It's Cardboard Time, episode number 37, and I'm your host, Arwin Kathke, and I do have some very special guests here today. You don't have to listen to me rambling on solo for once. Today with me, I have Matt Hawker and Justin Peters, so you get... You get two guests instead of zero like you normally do. So it averages out to sort of guests some of the time. Episode 37, I have been gone a long time. Both Oof. of you have. Well, well, it's good to be back. I've, you know, I was in the, the uh, podcast abyss for a while. And now I've returned in audio form. It's exciting. Like it's like a like a Gandalf transformation, I guess. So like I'm I, I was Matthew the Gray and now I guess I'm Matthew the uh, the beard i don't know so that that's somehow fine. your beard's um, shorter now though i didn't add up yeah that's because whoever wrote the script for this movie did a really bad job and uh <laughs> that was me i'm goes. sorry we we no, know some no, people no. like that yes <laughs> that's lord another of, story <laughs> lord of the hair was the movie <laughs> okay guess. now let's sorry. don't google that <laughs> yeah that, uh, yeah, that can't yeah be i don't probably not excuse me I'm assuming that you could probably find that at like your local like Goodwill or a uh, village discount outlet, that kind of thing. Let's hope be. it's that kind of thing. Yes. All right. Yeah. This could be like a family friendly board game. We may not even know. We have no idea. It could be like a game about be. putting on like beards and and then I don't know if you do you lumberjacks and Janes or something. Could be <laughs> right, anything possible. We, we need to stop this now. Write that down because we're gonna we're gonna make that. Yeah. Exactly. That's the next one on the ticket. Oh, well, (laughs) along with Lord of the Beards, we have a lot to talk about today. A lot of things outside of the normal podcast content that I do want to talk about up front. You can check out my appearance on Eat Lunch and Board Game. It was a great episode. I had so much fun talking with Adam. Definitely one that you're going to want to check out. Uh, If you want some additional content, I I talk about board games, but I also talk about some stuff uh, from outside the board game sphere as well. So that was a great episode. I do have a interview that's uh, pending with Spectrum News Cleveland. I filmed that uh, up in the Ohio City area regarding LGBTQ plus safe spaces at the Tabletop Board Game Cafe which is a wonderful place. I want to give a shout out to them because for two days, they were excellent, excellent hosts. Uh, The interview on one day. And then our friends, Matt and Lori, who are regular listeners, uh, we got to play Creature Comforts and Dog Lover with them on that Saturday. And we had a great lunch at Boaz up in Ohio City as well. Uh, Great, great Lebanese food. Um, so an awesome time. Had my first kombucha, which I probably won't return to, but you know, <laughs> at least I had it. You can have some on the shelf that I got growing back there. I don't want your kombucha. If if I don't <laughs> like the commercially done stuff, I'm not gonna like the homegrown stuff. I'm pretty. I sure. I don't want my kombucha either. It is bad kombucha. Don't drink it. I don't drink kombucha, but I like pretending I'm an expert on kombucha because I think it's really fun. And so, like, I'll well, talk about how great it is, and then so, like, so do you drink it? Do you grow your own? It's like, no, no, I don't drink kombucha. I just think it's amazing. <laughs> like, and it's I'm a bit of a kombucha expert, so that you know, that I need you to I, come I, over I and diagnose it. my kombucha because there's something wrong with it. Something Uh-oh. real wrong. With Are it. you sure it's kombucha? 
It was when my brother gave me the baggie full of, you know, Scooby whatever. <laughs> Scooby snacks? <laughs> Scooby snacks. Sco- is it like Scooby-Doo branded water? That's like, <laughs> I, I, what, 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 Scooby, what? <laughs> what the, the Scooby, Scooby huh? the Scooby. I think they call it a Scooby, but I'm like, just put an Scooby. extra O in there. Make it, make it a Scooby. Okay, like, I see now. They missed their chance. This is why nobody likes kombucha. Because of the marketing. Because they, they didn't call it a Scooby. They called they it a Scooby. They didn't call it a Scooby. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They could do a tie-in. They could have a murder mystery around it. It'd be great. <laughs> Anyways, yes. right. this is not the kombucha podcast. That uh, was also do... not the beverage we usually talk about. <laughs> That's very true. We are getting to that, though. A couple of more things I did want to talk about. Transgender Day of Visibility was on the 31st of March, and we had an event in Akron, which I got an award for community service, which I was absolutely thrilled with. A very necessary day. Uh, The one day that I'm able to be seen, apparently, I'm like invisible the other 364. So I do think that that's important in all seriousness for us to be out and open and visible and living authentically if we can do so, just to provide a good example to others and to have those good interactions with other people. And then finally, in honor of uh, some of the content on today's show, I am announcing the Cardboard Time group on Board Game Arena. All you have to do is search for Cardboard Time under Groups on the Community tab, and you can join us and play with me, Justin, and all sorts of fellow listeners in all sorts of games. We do usually ask that uh, you run a turn-based game unless you contact us ahead of time so that we can make it easier with schedules and that. Uh, It's very difficult for me to just spontaneously have a a board game uh, come up. So I think that uh, it'll be a nice new way to connect with everybody and and get some more uh, games to the table. Justin, what are we going to talk about on today's episode? Ah, well, today it looks like we have Lorenzo Il Magnifico. That's Italian for the Magnifico. Abandon all artichokes, vivid memories, and ten penny parks, which I think that's all you. Is that only you that is. played it? So let's go into the beer of the day. The other beverage of the day. Yes. Matt, do you want to start us off? Do you have one? Oh gosh. Uh yeah, that's uh vodka. No, um okay, so I would go with the uh <laughs> Dragon's milk is probably my uh, one of my Ooh. go-tos. I, I, I do enjoy a nice stout occasionally, but I, I, I'm not much of a you know. I can't remember the name of it. So this the, uh, the, super quick about four or five weeks ago, there's like a local place that like picks up like um, custom local brews or small micro brews, and they had like a like a ghost pepper beer or something like that, and it was incredibly spicy, and I had never encountered that in my life, and I didn't know what I was drinking it until I drank it. Um, and so uh, shout out to that beer because uh, I still remember that not so fondly. <laughs> Whatever the name was. <laughs> Whatever the name was. Yeah, shout out to that one though. Whew. I, I'm sure glad we put you on the spot for that right off right off the mm-hmm. bat. Yeah. Speaking of stouts, for me, I have the Sugary's S'more Stout by Butcher and Brewer out of Cleveland. It was a milk stout that was very heavy on the chocolate and coffee. It did have a little hint of vanilla in it, but it wasn't super overpowering. Uh, A lot of people noted marshmallow. I didn't get a whole lot of that, which would make sense with marshmallow and the s'mores and that in the name. But I wasn't... uh, 
I wasn't getting a whole lot of it, but it was a very, very pleasant stout. Definitely would drink it again. I gave it a 425. I thought it was a, an excellent, excellent beer. My beer of the day is the Millersburg Lot 21 Blonde Ale from Millersburg, Ohio. I had this uh, quite a few years ago on vacation down that direction uh, on tap, of course, which probably adds at least a quarter point. I rate it a little lower now, but it's still a solid four out of my fridge. So, And I'll remind everyone that a four and a four and a quarter is pretty high for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're stingy with those last few fractions of points. We're more down the three, three, five range is kind of the average. So, so four is a, a very good beer. Uh, it's time to check on the shelf of shame. It is at 153. That is down by two. Not a huge amount of uh, transactions going on uh, in the past couple of weeks. I did get one new edition, and that was a review copy of Ten Penny Parks, which I will be talking about on this episode. Uh, my Kickstarter arrivals definitely subsided a bit. I did get three out to the table, though, and uh, the first being Skulls of Sedlek. A lot of content for Skulls of Sedlek. It was like the game and about seven expansions for it. I also got uh, Creature Comforts to the table, and I will be talking about that in a upcoming episode, uh, not this one. And finally, Ten Penny Parks. Obviously, I got it. I'm talking about it on this episode, so I would hope that I played it. I did get that to the table as well. So we might as well go on to what we've been playing. We wanted to start off with Lorenzo Il Magnifico. It plays from two to four players in 60 to 120 minutes. Designed by Flaminia Brasini, Virginio Gigli, and Simone Luciani. The artists are the venerable Clemens Franz, Andrea Katnig, and Andreas Rusch. And published by Cranio Creations, and Simon. Lorenzo di Medici, also known as Lorenzo il Magnifico, which is actually Italian for Lorenzo the Magnificent, was one of the most powerful and enthusiastic patrons of the Italian Renaissance. In Lorenzo il Magnifico, each player takes the role of the head of a noble family in a city during the Italian Renaissance, to gain more prestige and fame, which is victory points, than anyone else. To do so, you send your family members to different areas of town where they can obtain many achievements. Actions range from gathering resources, development cards that will develop their engine, or give them powerful abilities, and others allow them to actually run their engines. What makes this unique is that family members are not identical since at the beginning of each round, you roll three dice to determine their values. The game is divided into three periods, each formed by two rounds. At the end of each period, players must show their faith, and whoever hasn't prayed enough will suffer hard penalties and be excommunicated from the church. After six rounds, you calculate your final score, and the player with the most victory points wins. So, Justin, I think we're going to start with you on this one. What did you think of Lorenzo Il Magnifico? All right. Well, if that description didn't win you over, um, I'm going to say I did I did really enjoy this game. I, I don't know how to describe it in detail other than it's like an above average Euro. It was very busy, like so many things going on, but it not it did not feel stressful. I think there was enough randomness in there 
and really tight resources so you didn't you couldn't predict or plan too far ahead or at least I didn't feel so so that I could take it a little bit easy and just kind of go for it and see what happens I find that's more to my taste right I don't want to over calculate and just get stressed out and thinking too hard so I could sit back and enjoy despite it being really heavy otherwise so you might lose like a card or something you were after but I didn't feel like it was a deal breaker either I mean, it's, it's a really cool engine builder, and I remember there being like a lot of combos in it. You could kind of work together. And I couldn't think of another Euro that really felt like that did, and I'm hoping Arwen can maybe enlighten us there because she knows way more. I can't even think of a Euro that off the bat I consider an engine builder, for that matter. Other than that, I mean, that's kind of it. I mean, you know, spoiler, we got lots of notes here. I'm going to say that my lack of, com- of comments on this one is probably a good thing um, because I'm going to rant a little bit later. I, I did. I really enjoyed this. It was a lot of fun. Didn't wear me out. Matt, how about you? What did you think? You know, um, I am a tough sell when it comes to Euros. And so I, I think there's some bias there off the bat. Uh, one thing I will tell you is that the box cover for this game is is just magnificent. It just has this sm- this Lorenzo looking all <laughs> smug. And, well, it and says just, it's I, magnificent it, it, right there. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. It, it, there's, it's just, it just radiates this, this uh, fascinating smugness for me. And uh, what's in the box doesn't uh, compare to what I see on the when the cover. When I look at the cover, uh, it reminds me of um, like a, a sort of like a lighter social game, and that's not what this game is, which is absolutely okay. I think for me personally, I, I enjoyed the game. I think there were there were a lot of moving parts, which is to be expected in a Euro game. Uh, I think that the dice was a really cool aspect because seeing dice in a Euro game is like seeing an elephant on the moon. It's extraordinarily rare, uh, <laughs> if not impossible most of the time. So that was a really great feature of it. Uh, the drafting was very nice. Um, one thing that I, I will say always intimidates me as a player is when I pull out a board and numbers run around the entire board. Uh, that That is always something that visually and just when I play a Euro for the first time is is very intimidating. And so I've never been a big fan of that. And I do think that this is the kind of game where it it might be a bit difficult to uh, have a mixed game group. So folks that played it are playing it for the first time and folks that aren't playing it for the first time, especially because of the drafting elements. Um, I, I do think that's a tricky element with, with a lot of euros, but I especially felt that in this game felt like, you know, if you don't have that knowledge, the randomness does help kind of, uh, alleviate some of that concern. But I, I do think that was a reality of this game. Otherwise, like I, I think for like, again, for me, the big thing is like, you know, when I'm coming at a euro for a new game is, is it, am I intimidated off the bat? And I definitely was here. But did I have fun? Yes. Uh, which is, of course, one of the most important parts of any game. Intimidation is often the point with Euros. but Yeah, it, you know, it, it really is. But I, I think it's it's also like part of it is it's not even just the numbers, but like, you know, because there's so many numbers, um, a lot of Euros. I think this one did, too, where, you know, most most of the impactful games on those numbers comes at the end, you know, like game scoring, you know, now you're adding all your bonuses. But I definitely think that, you know, when you're new to a game like this and somebody kind of has a good idea what they're doing and they're kind of kicking off, kicking it off and advancing down the victory track, you're like, wait, am I doing something wrong? Am I doing? And you're thinking that like every single turn. And and that that's definitely something that I, I felt a little bit here. Uh, but I think that's more of a Euro thing than it is a, a qualm with the game itself. Other, only other thing I think I have to mention uh, personally is that, you know, it was hard for me as a player to keep track of everything. Uh, so when I'm looking at games or when I'm thinking about games, I, 
I, I, I like to think about, you know, where my focus of vision is, where I'm looking at most often. And on the game board here, you're going through a lot of different places as opposed to like deciding on a place. Uh, you're drafting and then, you know, you're resolving the dice and then you're looking at your personal board. And so you're kind of going all your eyes are like darting all over the place on the table, which is not, a, again, a bad thing, but is a reality of the game. And so um, I think on a personal level, I found that there were certain turns where it was easy to miss something because I was going all over the place trying to resolve like a couple different things here and there. So yeah, I, I had fun with it though. I would definitely agree with that comment. I felt like the the board, the the design just didn't really quite do it for me. But the the game itself, I think, was a lot of fun. I think the the fact that your three main workers had different powers every round. You had a different level that you were using where you had either feast or famine, but every single player was also dealing with that same challenge. I thought that that was interesting and very unique. That seemed to make it a little bit more fair. Something that I wasn't quite sold on, the first player advantage was definitely important in a lot of rounds. You know, so that, that was definitely a thing. Uh, symbology might leave a, a little bit of interpretation, especially on that bottom track. Uh, there are a lot of paths to victory here, something that I really like. I like a lot of different strategies. I think a game that can open up and really you can take a bunch of different routes. I really, really enjoy that uh, quite a bit. There are a lot of instances of indirect interaction, specifically taking worker placement spots and cards that others want. It's going to happen. You know, I think there were 16, it was either 12 or 16 uh, cards up top. And more often than not, we were taking cards that the others wanted. So it is something that's going to happen. You are going to take worker placement spots that other people want. It's just inherent in the game uh, nature itself. Unfortunately, the engine really started ramping up in the last round, which is is really unfortunate because I wanted it to go another couple of rounds to really kind of flush everything out, which is usually our complaint. <laughs> and then the excommunication consequences uh, sometimes could be brutal. I mean, they could be you know, you could lose the game off of those consequences, or you might not even care. It depends on what strategy you're going for. And I think one of the interesting things on that mechanism is the fact that because they are so strategy dependent, you kind of have to pick and choose your times of when you're going to suffer those consequences. So you're just going to say, okay, I'm not going to focus on this. I'm just going to roll in my own lane and I'm going to prepare to take this because everybody's eventually going to take that excommunication. It, it um, was tight. It would be almost unavoidable. Yeah, it, it was really brutal, though, in some cases. And then the artwork by Clemens Franz was definitely familiar. If you're familiar with Orléans, uh, Caverna, Agricola, um, you know, you add Andrea Ketnig and Andreas Rush to the mix, and it really makes for a very interesting art style. Matt mentioned the art uh, on the front of the box, and it was it was definitely one of those, you know, European guys that's kind of looking at you funny on the front cover. It, it, it's... It's definitely a, a, an interesting art style that I enjoyed. 
I will say as far as color vision goes, we did have an issue with two of the colors in the box. I can't remember what it was, but the tokens for the players in that definitely did have, uh, you know, a little bit of an issue for me anyway. So as far as my final judgment goes, this checks a lot of boxes for me. It still seems unique. I, again, really like the fact that your workers all have different values and different rounds. This doesn't seem to do anything that uh, interferes with another game that I've got, so it's gonna be sticking around. So that was Lorenzo Il Magnifico. Next up, we've got Abandon All Artichokes, which uh, I hadn't heard of until just very recently when you sent me a link to start playing it, and I was sold pretty quick. But that's getting ahead of things, huh? So this is a very new game, 2022, two to four players, 30 minutes, uh, designed by Emma Larkins and art by Bonnie Pang, published by GameRight. So the description is, Abandon All Artichokes isn't your garden variety card game. A bumper crop of prickly produce has overtaken your patch, and there's only one choice, Abandon All Artichokes. Prune your deck by harvesting fresh vegetables, each with a special power that lets you swap, discard, or compost cards. On a player's turn, they first take a card out of the garden row, then play special ability cards until they can't play anymore. Then discard the rest of the cards and draw back up to a hand limit of five. The player who draws a hand devoid of artichokes first wins. So, Arwen, I'll let you start on that. Okay, so I absolutely adore deck building. I have a ton of deck building games, but I had absolutely no idea that I'd like deck destruction this much. And that's really how this game was described to me by uh, Brian Chandler. Uh, he had that on his top 20 list. When I saw it, I'm like, okay, well, you know, I, I should probably check this out. I've heard a lot about it. Uh, I think uh, Board Game Geek actually had it featured as well. Uh, I think they featured Emma Larkins as part of uh, Women's History Month. I decided I needed to check it out. It's on Board Game Arena. That's where the two of us had, had played it. And yeah, I mean, extremely simple mechanisms, uh, really easy to teach in about two minutes. I mean, you can just get this out to the table. Two minutes later, no matter what skill level you're at, you're up and running. The, the artwork is very cute. Lots of uh, different strategies, lots of depth uh, that gets uncovered as you play more. So as you're going through, as you're playing more and more games, you're discovering different things that you can do with these cards. Uh, some cards don't seem like they do much to begin with, but when you figure out how to use them, they, they get to be very, very interesting. So uh, really like that. And, you know, something that can do a lot in a small package. Uh, I keep saying that, but it really is something that I look for in a lot of games I'm going to bring out to the table on a frequent basis. Uh, the abilities are printed simply right on the card, so there's no symbology, there's no color vision issues. Uh, it does increase language dependency, unfortunately. I, I, really, uh, I really enjoyed it. Justin, I'm going to go to you next. So, I mean, obviously, I also love deck building and not realizing that this is either a deck builder or a destructor or whatever it might be. I got excited just reading the instructions like this. This sounds like a fun time. I'm going to reach for a gripe here. I kind of wondered about the power balance of all these different cards, but 
I think, as you mentioned, one, it's totally random anyway. And there are different strategies for the different cards. They probably all have their time to shine. If you end up getting like a bad break on a deal, well, it's really quick. So you can just play it again. It, it was a really quick playthrough. Like I, I again, we played online and turn-based. So I didn't get the feel for live action and how fast this could go, but I bet you could get a, a round out in five minutes on this game um, if you know what you're doing. So I really can't wait to try this in person and get a few more folks on the table and really see what what it can do. But it's just a fun time. Uh, just a lot of action, a little bit of thinking, maybe a little bit of reading to remember what each of the cards does, and and that's it. So that's that's my take. Matt, you've also played this. What did you think about Abandon All Artichokes? Yeah, I've, I've played this quite a few times now. Um, so first off, uh, I really, really love a game that I can throw in front of almost anyone. Um, and we can teach it and we can run through it and we can play it and we can uh, get better at it and we can, you know, develop strategies and, you know, have these like high stakes moments in a small package. And I, I think it kind of accomplishes those goals. And one thing that I really was pleased about is when any type of deck building game, I love deck thinning mechanics where, you know, you're trying to thin out all the useless stuff quickly. And so this is a game that's all about that. Uh, and so it was right up my alley when I when I saw it as well. Uh, so J- Justin had brought up like you know some strategies may working better than others, and if whether or not that's like an issue. Uh, I will say that I do think player count can skew what you might pick in this game. So if you're someone that likes to mess with other players, uh, the the potency of that can change based on number of players. So like cards that allow you to, um, I think what is it, draw the top card of somebody else's deck, and if it's an and what you can decide if you want to add it to your discard pile or their discard pile or something along those lines. It, those types of cards will, they're rel- I think their relevancy changes based on number of players because it's harder to keep track of how well other players are doing. So you don't know if you're targeting someone that's doing really well or if you're targeting someone that may not be doing so hot. Whereas like in a two player game, you're targeting the other person always. Some cards, I, I like in general, like all the cards are fun and interesting. I think it's it's for that game specifically. I've learned that a lot of folks, while you may want to seek optimal strategy, most of the time you're just going to pick what you have the most fun doing mechanically. Like I'm not a big fan of broccoli, but some players that I've played with love broccoli. It's their favorite card. It's the first thing they go for. Uh, I'm not a big fan of carrot, but some players love carrots. It's the first one they want to go through for. And so I, I do like that about the game a lot, how there's sort of, you know, uh, not just options, but like, you know, players will find things that they like the most and kind of continue down that path of this is my strategy. This is what I'm going to do each game because this is my favorite thing to do in this game. And, and I think that's a great feeling. The box shape is is very cool and ridiculous. I think in, a, uh, I think in some, some countries it's a regular box, but in the States, of course it's shaped like an artichoke and it has a little artichoke sticker which is fun um i do like that all the artichokes also have a different expression not all of them but quite a few uh so they rotate through the different expressions which is very cute and fun going back to broccoli it's wearing glasses sunglasses i just need to mention that's very important um and i I like cute games of strategy so uh all, all in all it's 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 just a great time um emma is also an amazing designer i haven't had the opportunity to play test with her personally uh but we uh definitely have shared different play testing groups and um i know she's worked with the tabletop mentorship program before to give insight on you know how to play test and you know how to like how to build games and take feedback and organize feedback and so uh that also just sort of adds the charm for me knowing that someone who is just absolutely magnificent uh put together this game experience yeah and i i think for my final judgment my final thoughts i, I put in an order for this after our first play 
I mean, I, I had to. Like, the delivery truck is on its way today to drop a copy off because it's just, it's such a, a simple go-to light game. And like Matt said, I think you can put it in front of just about anybody and they're going to have a good time. They're going to pick it up. They're going to understand. And I feel like it's interesting seeing the journey that we've had from these super deep, you know, heavy strategy games to where I almost prefer a more medium weight game towards the lighter side if I can get it out more uh, with other people, because really the point of this whole hobby is to share the experience with others. And this game is the perfect game to be able to do that. So yeah, it's not even on my shelf yet, but it's going to be staying there for a long time, bar the time that it's off of it where I'm playing it. At work, probably, because this will be a real quick one for lunch. <laughs> this will be a real good uh, lunchtime game. Yep. So I'll get my chance real soon. One thing I'll mention, which was interesting to me teaching this game to new folks, is that folks that are unfamiliar with deck builders really struggled with like onboarding onto this game. Uh, compared to, to um, compared to other deck building games, I think part of that was because there's there's so few cards and you're often trying to remove cards. And so I found that like a, one common theme of of game nights for folks that don't normally play these types of games, they would mix up their deck in their discard pile, or they'd be holding their hand and they'd be like, "Wait, is this my hand or my deck?" Because you're often you know at such few cards uh, most of the time, or uh, you know, not as much as like another game, like or, or like deck games that folks are com- uh, thinking about often, like you know, thirty to forty to card decks, right? So uh, that was interesting, and in, and in trying to find solutions for that. And so, like at some point, I was like, "No, this is going to go here. This is going to go here. Don't pick that up ever, unless you have to." And so, like you know, you'd have to like organize the table a little bit. But uh, that was something that surprised me. So, just a, a word of caution for folks that may not have used played deck builders before: it can be a little easy sometimes to lose track of what cards are what if you're someone that likes to fiddle, which I do quite a bit. Yeah, and if you find that it it might be something that you run into a lot, you can always make a, a real simple little play mat for newer players and uh, fold it up and put it in the box. Absolutely. So that was abandon all artichokes. Well, the next game that we're going to talk about is one that we have had multiple people request reviews about. I said that I was going to do a review, and now we have all the appropriate people in the room, uh, or at least in the virtual space, uh, to talk about, and that is Vivid Memories from 2022. It plays from two to four players in 30 to 45 minutes, designed by Matthew Dunstan, Brett J. Gilbert. The artist is Andrew Bosley, published by Floodgate Games. In Vivid Memories, you'll take turns collecting fragments of childhood memories, weaving a tapestry of colored threads in your mind. During the game, players take turns collecting fragments of memories from moment tiles, placing them in their brain board. Using abilities at the end of each round to cleverly create connections, players are rewarded for how they store memory fragments while working towards completing core memories, which give repeated benefits each round. Through their journey, players store important moments in their memory bank, gaining new abilities and new opportunities to score, all while working to collect fragments and moments which match what they aspire to be. Justin and Matt, I'm going to throw it to either of you, whoever wants to start, because it's not going to be me. I read the intro. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't know. Do we want to match for it here? Why don't we play a game of vivid memories and whoever wins um, gets to go first? <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll we'll be back in a few. Yeah, just a couple minutes. Um, I, I can I can start us off. Uh, all right. All right. Um, so let me start by saying that I, I think that the game, there's a lot of things in there that really felt like it had potential and it felt like there were uh, there was a possibility for interesting decisions and, and like in the space for that. And I just personally could not find any of it. On a player feel level, it was like it, it, it was like I know there's a light switch somewhere, but I can't find it, and the room's really dark, so I'm just fumbling around trying to figure out where it was, even though I should know where it is. That's how I felt like playing this game most of the time, personally. There was a disconnect for me also just going into it. Um, so I think and talk a lot about expectations, and I've I've learned a lot about expectations in games, and you know, playing games for my own game design journey, and just also playtesting a lot of stuff constantly. When someone explains something to you, even if it's just a sentence, that sets your expectation. And so, with vivid memories, my expectation was set very early on by the box cover, by the sort of general theme of the game, uh, by the story it told right off the bat in the rules. And I, I, I didn't feel that any of that was captured in the mechanics for me personally. It often felt like I, I, I didn't understand who I was as a player, and I couldn't recognize my goals, even though I kind of had a vague idea. There was just strong disconnects for me all over, which is kind of interesting because the game is about connection. Um, I, I didn't feel that, though. I, I often felt that the pieces were very fiddly, uh, that the round sequence felt strange to me um, and, and, and how like the, the phases of a, a round worked. I don't know if any point of this really worked for me. Um, and it's possible I need to play it way more than I have been and I and maybe to, to, to find what I'm looking for from this game. But uh, nothing quite hit the mark for me. I didn't understand the giant brain. This is such a silly complaint. But the brain board really bothered me. Uh, and part of that is because when I look at the box and I looked at the uh, the Kickstarter art for this game even, right? Because that's part of setting the expectations for the game. Uh, you see, for the most part, like you'll, you're focused on these characters. They're going through their memories. They're, they're having these moments where they're recalling like a transformation. Like instead of a paper airplane, it's a helicopter or it's an airplane or... Um, instead of having this, like, uh, I, I don't know, instead of going for a walk, you're, you're going on the moon or something along those lines. And so those were sort of the feelings that I wanted to get out of this game. And I didn't experience those, um, which is kind of a shame because a lot of the art in the game felt like that's what it was supposed to do. And so on an expectations level, I don't think I got what I needed here. And I, I think it kind of just speaks to, to there's, there is a difficulty in making a game that has a lightweight theme that also has heavy mechanics because to me, thematically, the game felt lightweight, right? And then when I got into it, it felt beyond like a medium weight game. And maybe the the, the rules maybe needed some refining. Maybe it was difficult to learn the game for the rules. Uh, but but in general, there nothing felt connected very well for me. The theme felt disconnected from the mechanics. Uh, as a player, I felt disconnected from the game. The the components felt difficult to connect and and take and use. There were some rules concepts that were lost to me. Uh, the player sheet felt difficult to interpret and understand, and some of the explanations for certain iconography felt difficult to understand. I was never sure if I was doing the right thing most of the time, because your your individual phases on turns were, were very short. It was kind of difficult to feel like I was 
doing something significant. I, I felt the entire game like we were doing something wrong, and sometimes we were. And it was difficult to discern from the rule book how to do it correctly for certain interactions, um, which all sounds very vague, but that's partly because this was a difficult game to, to comprehend. Uh, and normally when I play a game that's difficult to comprehend, my first thought is, well, I want to go back at it. There were a lot of interesting things here. Uh, Oath is a great recent example where uh, it set expectations very well. It told me, hey, you might get some things wrong, but that's okay. Uh, and there were still a lot of interesting things to find in there. Uh, and that was the opposite experience I had here. The individual that brought it to me, that set it up at the table, uh, they run a game store. They were super excited about it. They were revved up about it. They wanted to play it. I was I was so exhausted. Like, let's play it. And the, they, they were very disappointed in the experience. And so um, I, I'm curious to see if this was an issue of expectations or mechanics. I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, but I don't think the expectations were set properly for what the game experience was. And I think that fed into the difficulty, confusion, and, and just how disconnected everything felt. And so I think that's what I have to say for now, but I, I'm sure I will think of some other things as I listen in to what you all have to say. So I, I think we're going to come to similar conclusions, but I'm going to put a different spin on it, I hope. You were talking about that big brain board. That's what got me so excited about it. And those little diamond chits that you could place into it. And I just couldn't wait to start like placing those on the board. I'm like, tell me how to do this. And when I got to start putting these little tiles in there. Uh, unlike Arwen, I don't have like, the luxury of being on top of all the new hot games and things like this. So I didn't even hear about this game until you brought it to my house and we started playing it. So in that 15 minutes, those expectations got set really high and I was super excited for this game. And now I'm just going to like lose my train of thought and jump off somewhere else here <laughs> because, <laughs> because I got, I got a bonus beer of the day or of, last month or two months ago or something because while we were playing this game about big brains and big brain boards i realized like probably way later than i should have that the beer that i pulled out was uh had had a big brain on it and i'm like oh well geez we got to talk about this uh elysian full contact imperial ipa and arwen you had one too mm -hmm. um disappointingly uh it, it i only gave it a two and a half which is pretty low and i can't remember why i just didn't enjoy it maybe you have some notes or better memory on that yeah i think i gave it a 275 and i think it was when when i look at ipas like a standard ipa now to me is just like middle of the road at best that's the danger of ipas yeah, exactly. I need some complexity. I need some flavor. I need something other than just bitter. And I think that that was what they tried to get with this was just bitter. <laughs> and yeah, and that's yeah. that's all that I got out of it. So well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you could enlighten me on my own tastes there because I couldn't remember. <laughs> I just thought it was super awesome that we pulled that out back to the game then. So, as I said, I was very excited about this in a very short time. So, I think, again, Matt hit it on the head that it's really, really good at setting very high expectations, which can sometimes be a danger. I'll use, like, movie analogies. I've had some really, like, crummy-looking movies I had zero excitement about, and I enjoyed the heck out of them. And then when you get super excited about something, it's the worst movie you ever saw. So, it, I don't know. I don't know if that's what's going on here. It's probably not the whole story, but again, the expectations didn't match. So, like, I'm really torn on this game. I looked at 
you know, all the mechanics as you're reading the instructions and getting excited about placing these chips and how that's going to go. It really, really looked interesting. But I think when I got down to it, it was really, really tight. And I think almost over-optimized. I'm going to go all over the place on here because this, this one is tough. But like, I would be tempted to make house rules on this. Just e even though they would probably break the balance of the game, it seems like that I could maybe have more fun if I played by a different set of rules. Unless you have a group of people who exclusively like very, very tight, tricky, strategic puzzles. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to get soured on it. I think you're on to something when you say over-optimized because I actually got that same feeling myself. Once you got about halfway through the game, you could see where these memory tiles were leading, and they all had like one of three different paths that they were leading you on. So when you started looking at these over and over again, it was like, oh, this is the same thing legitimately over and over again. This is the same mechanic. It's not mixing it up. It's not doing anything. So I feel like they felt that they needed to go in and basically make the same thing to make the game work. Uh, that's what it felt like to me anyways. I could be wrong, but... It's, it's like you're building this engine and you at first you see all these different paths to go, but in the end they all kind of come down to about the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, Where's the elephant? Where yes. is the elephant in the room? I had that in my notes. wild. Yes. I, I, I keep going back. I keep thinking about that. Where's the elephant? It just, I'm so upset that there was not an elephant in that game. There's just an elephant <laughs> on the box. You could have had a kid that was riding a tricycle and yeah. then going on to ride an elephant later in life. <clears throat> yeah. Done. Absolutely. I thought, I thought we were talking about the elephant in the room with like, what is it about this game? No, no. Just <laughs> actually, actually an elephant. Actually an elephant I, on the cards. Where is the card with the elephant? We need an elephant in the room. Big, well, big expectation was missed. It, 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 so, there was, there was, oh, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just no, like no, no, thinking no, no, about no. elephants now. Making me No, so, so I'm going to go back to like, I like that the big board the brain with all these little connections you're trying to wire through it and all these little fun little chips that you're trying of different colors you're putting together. I think it's again, due to this optimization, you couldn't explore the whole game at once. Like I see all of this opportunity in front of me and in a single playthrough, I'm doing like maybe like, I don't know, like a third of it by the end of the game. And this isn't my usual gripe of, Oh, it was over too quickly. It was. It was like, I have this whole board to fill out, and you're telling me I can only do this much. Like, no matter how good I am at this, I can only do this much. And it's not like a game where, oh, another playthrough, I'll get a different experience, and I'll get experience it that way. No, I, I wanted, there's all this headroom there. All this headroom to experience this game and, and just get all those, I don't know, feelings of math and calculations and making connections, right? You know, whatever it is that drives us to enjoy these, you know, weighty puzzles right and you could see it all out there and you couldn't touch it you know and i think that's what kind of drove me nuts um like i said i'd make some house rules or maybe it should go longer it would definitely upset the balance and i think that you are when i think like i felt like you had it in the bag like halfway through the game so extending it out yeah it'd just be a runaway victory for yeah. whoever most likely um i just can't see a way around it a lot of opportunity in this game even just maybe I don't know. I feel like there's different ways it could have gone. And and I feel like maybe in a different version of this game or an alternate universe, there was a more fun playthrough, at least for me. But 
it wasn't optimized. It wasn't necessarily balanced. Right? So there might be a more unbalanced and broken version of this game, but it might be just a little bit more exciting. And, and so maybe I'm just a little upset because I wanted something and it wasn't there on the table in front of me. In my brain, I could tell, my, my actual brain, not on the board, right? You know, could tell that there was something, that there was something there or could be something there and it wasn't. And so therefore I was disappointed. So I don't know. That was that was my spiel, and probably shorter than my notes, actually. So I think I can leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that was. It, it was just it was, it was disappointing because I felt the potential was there for so much more. And I'll piggyback off of that for for my thoughts. So first of all, I received this uh, from our friends Matt and Lori, who were selling their copy they had received through Kickstarter. Wonderful quality of components. I mean. When it comes down to the actual quality of the components, I was very, very pleased. I have no gripes. They were beautiful. I will say that I did have some gripes with the symbology as far as the size of it. Uh, Not necessarily just the symbols, but like the actual size of it itself. It, It really was very, very small on the memory tiles that if you were even remotely far away, you could not see it. You really had to lean in. There weren't any color vision issues because you had symbols on everything, which was nice. So I, I do give them credit for that. But everything was so small that I did have some some just regular vision issues uh, with that. Pieces were also a little bit small. Uh, so those little shards were a little bit small for people with bigger hands to, to pick up as well. So that was, that was something. And Matt just got wide-eyed and he He's nodding his head, you know, emphatically. So I, I, I um, have tiny fingers, so it's no problem for me. Yeah, yeah. He's doing like the T-Rex hands. He can't see it, unfortunately. But it was really tough kind of putting everything in place and then getting them out of the slots as well. Um, just did not work out uh, very well for me. And you felt like you were falling behind if you didn't take the three memory fragments at once. So you could take... One single one, you could take two of the same color, or you could take three different colors off of a tile. You really did feel like if you weren't taking three, it was it was really a punishment. That said, when you had these memory tiles and you looked at the abilities that you could take on the memory tiles as opposed to the uh, abilities that were printed on your board, it almost felt like a punishment to take the memory tiles and have that scoring condition. Uh, which I thought was extremely interesting because normally they would interfere with what I felt was the best part of the game, which was really using that brain board and making those connections. So going from point A to point B on that board and trying to make those connections to get that engine running so that you know early on I want to make that 18-point connection, which I did, And I think that basically won me the game because you're scoring those points every single round. So when I saw that, I'm like, this is the most fun that I'm having is is making these connections from point A to point B and and route building as opposed to fulfilling these memory tiles. So I think that a lot of it came down to how can I least punish myself by taking these tiles and clogging up my board? And I didn't want them. I did, I legitimately did not want those tiles, you know, which, which was kind of unfortunate. 
I think there is a lot of aspects to that too. Like again, with the, you had, you could choose one, two or three chips with different benefits or consequences for doing so. The game would last a little longer and you get to do more things if you didn't take three every time. But if you don't greedy, like I'm going to win this game, if you didn't take three every time, somebody else is going to get them. Right. And I think they expected to see more balance in that. And maybe if you were an experienced player at this, you would see when and where to do those things, but we didn't do that. We're just grabbing all the chips we can because it's like, I got to get them all. And it just didn't work out. And, you know, again, punished by taking those memories, you know, you think your engine building and then all of a sudden you realize, oh no, no, I just clogged my engine up. That didn't work. So there's a lot of features in the game that you know i didn't want to use and i find that disappointing too and i i feel like i want to come back to something that matt had said this game really set a different set of expectations coming into it than what it actually delivered on i feel like you know when it came to the the front and the back of the tile you know, this is a memory that you have of playing with a stick in the backyard and then you grow up and you flip it over and now you've got a lightsaber, which I thought was a, a neat little touch. I think that might have been a, a Kickstarter exclusive or something. You're making that progress. So I like the way that the art is kind of evoking these things. I think that that was done well. But as far as mechanically, I didn't get that. I didn't get that at all. And again, I feel like the real fun of the game was that route building, which didn't involve those memories. Like I I didn't want those memories. I didn't want to go for those things. I just wanted to build these networks back and forth. And I, I think that that's not what they were going for necessarily with the game. They might have wanted to balance it a little bit more. They might have wanted to focus on those memory tiles a little bit more, but that's not what I felt in that game. Uh, any final thoughts, Justin, Matt, on on this game? I, I will say that I think Matt is very good at getting to the, kind of the core of the issue. I had all these, you know, superficial, yeah. like, you know, this little thing bugged me and this little thing bugged me, but boy, yeah. I love that you brought it up first. It's the expectation. It was set really high, even even in the 15 minutes before I started playing it that I had even heard about it. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I want to echo something real quick because I didn't even bring this up. The, 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 well, I think a little bit, the, the memory cards aspect. So like one of the things that I, I was was very cumbersome for me, I touched on it a little bit actually, were, were, were the phases of the round, right? And so the drafting in this game felt so punishing that I almost dreaded the drafting. Um, and it was it was really weird too because like each phase like that that phase felt super quick right it felt like it was like a like you like done but it was so so relevant like it was so every every decision there felt so punishing or important or if someone did something like or or hate drafted even they may not even realize they were hate drafting they just had to draft this thing because otherwise they were gonna get punished it just it, that that was such a that bubble in that game in each round was so significant. Yet it didn't appear significant. And that that was just such a, a strange thing for me as a player. Because after that first round, I understood what was happening. I was like, oh no, if I don't get this, I can't do this. And that's a whole problem. And so I just have to hope. I just have to hope with every fiber of my being that it's going to work out for me. Um, and, and that was a very strange feeling given how quick that was, uh, which was just how significant it ended up being. I, I'm kind of in a at a juxtaposition because I wouldn't have wanted those rounds to go longer at the same time. 
Like I wouldn't have wanted them to be longer, but at the same time, they felt like they went super quick and they weren't satisfying. It was, it was just kind of bizarre. I wonder if, you know, maybe there's just a reality that the, the drafting mechanic wasn't the mechanic I was looking for in this game uh, in terms of how it was done, right? So it could be something, for example, like, you know, not, not only not even just the juxtaposition, like, 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 because I, I feel like ultimately, I don't know what I would fix with that mechanic as much as I just would want to swap out the mechanic entirely for something else. Um, that feels a little more forgiving or a little more um, integrated into the entire round because like there the disconnect felt so strong that it, it was hard to feel like those phases of a round were immersed together or like they were they were tied together right like I, I couldn't even think about uh, certain things because I was so th- I was just thinking about okay what do I need to draft to get this thing later on and I wasn't really thinking about the other parts of my round my, my the rest of my turn personally i was like i just have to get the most significant thing here and so i didn't feel like i had a lot of choice in the drafting I, round and maybe i that, miscalculated maybe frequently yeah yeah sorry um, yeah i miscalculated it, it, frequently and maybe i'd get better at it with more plays but i i, I think that the big thing for me was like I, in, in the drafting especially i i didn't feel like i often came upon interesting choices and maybe that's really the big issue for me thinking back on it i felt like i i had a right decision to make and then a decision that probably was not right. And then uh, most of the time, and even then half the time, I wasn't sure if I was any decision was right because uh, there were certain things that uh, were, were, were sort of confounding, but you know, just in terms of like, you know, like, like you said, get the most, get the most thing uh, because otherwise someone else will get thing. Right. Yeah. And that, that's like a very straightforward feeling. Uh, I need to get thing or else you get thing. And then I don't get thing, which is bad. Therefore I must get all things. Uh, and so that, that's what the drafting consisted of most of the time. It, it's, it's hard not to like there, there, there were, there, I had very passionate feelings during that phase of the game, especially. And so like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel like I'm kind of being a little bit redundant here, but I think it just speaks to, you know, like how that made me feel as a player. Right. And so like, I, 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 I was very disappointed in that how that mechanic came to be. So I don't know. Uh, that that's a tricky one though, and I I, I don't envy any designer ever because it's uh, uh, it's tough to make a game that satisfies everyone. And sometimes also, you know, at the end of the day, your games are guided by playtesting, right? So it's possible that I have no I you know I I'm, I wish I could be a fly in the wall to see how development went to the, for the game and you know what type of feedback they got from players because it might be the case that you know as they play tested this was the route that ended up feeling the best for players um, i, I had that case, sneaking feeling too like somehow mm-hmm. they had tried to please everyone and ended pleasing well i won't say no one but you know very few people I felt. yeah yeah right you know uh actually i will say one 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 thing that has been interesting in all these games have uh you know kind of make me think about this a lot too there is such an interesting world to explore with theme and mechanics right it's like an age-old thing you know what's more important themes or theme or mechanics and they're out you know they're both they're both relevant they both set expectations in different ways um and just thinking about you know uh, making lightweight themes with heavy mechanics is tricky and it's a tough sell for some people, uh, and I think I think people are are becoming more accustomed to it and adjusting to that. But I, I always think that's sort of a tricky space, and so um, uh, it, it's it's interesting to see more games try to tackle that. You know, as we move away from dungeons and uh, war and you know different things like that, and we're exploring these other spaces, you know, and uh, tr- trying to make these medium weight or heavyweight mechanics and concepts work with a with a lightweight or charming theme or maybe an unexpected theme that 
you know, is surprising or unique or cool or very different from the norm. And, uh, it's, it's interesting seeing designers explore those spaces. And so like, uh, you know, I, I will say like, an, you know, especially the, the last two games that we discussed, Abandon All Artichokes and um, uh, Vivid Memories, like those are great examples of, you know, trying to come up with a theme that works with the mechanics. And sometimes you can explain it and sometimes you can't like Abandoning All Artichokes, like the name explains <laughs> what you're doing. But like on a, on a on a mechanical level, like or like on a thematic level as a player, like why am I abandoning all the artichokes, right? Why is this broccoli wearing sunglasses? I figured that's <laughs> why implicit. Not? Right. I, but you know, it's, it's, it's just one of those things that, you know, can come up sometimes. So like, uh, I'll, you'll, you'll, it, when you're, when you're playtesting games, you'll have folks say like, well, okay, well, why is this what it is? And so, uh, it, it can be tricky to, to think about that sometimes. Like when I was doing bittersweet, someone said, why have chocolate covered vegetables? Why not just do tires? And my thought was, well, why, well, who's going to eat a tire? And, but then I also thought, well, I mean, who's going to eat a chocolate covered vegetable? But you know, I had to, I had to, I had to draw a line in the sand somewhere. And so like, those are, those are weird, interesting spaces that you can only really find in game design, <laughs> right? Like, you know, like the brain board or artichokes or any of that stuff. And so that's just a, it's just a weird space to, to, to think in and, and a very interesting one to kind of come up with solutions for, or, or have to make decisions or compromises for. It's really something that I do want to see more of. I really want to see new, different themes. It's what got me into the hobby in the first place. Even with Vivid Memories, I, I like seeing something that's different. And I do feel like that was something that they tried to do. It, it was that. It was new and it was exciting. And I don't want to discourage that. That's the thing. So I, I think, Matt, that's what you were trying to say as well was, you know, we don't want to discourage that. We want to encourage that. But it's it's a very interesting design space uh, to design in and try to accommodate those unique themes. I was trying to figure out the words to describe like Matt's guru and like enlightened status on how he can just opine. He's, he's Yoda. He's game <laughs> he's design a, Yoda yeah. at this point. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know about that. I'm, you know, we're, we're, we're all learning constantly. I, I, I will say that, you know, you, you, it, there, there, there are some struggles sometimes. Like I play test other games enough now where like when I'm playing a published game, it's hard to turn my play tester brain off. Like I'm like, I want to give feedback to someone, mm -hmm. but I can't. It's like being an engineer and watching a sci-fi movie and rolling your eyes constantly. Right. Is it? I, I right. get it. Unobtainium. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my it's gosh. Don't, don't get me started on unobtainium. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's tricky and so like you know someone will introduce me to a game that they're really passionate about and i uh this happened recently at an event i was in and they were obsessed with it and they were they were i was they were teaching me it and i could just tell like they were like keeping an eye on me because they know i design games so like they want to make sure that i approve of the game or like you know like they're they're asking questions about like well what do you think of this or what do you think of that and i was kind of like oh i mean it's it's interesting and then and then and then i would feel bad i feel like i'm like i'm on watch because like everything i could say about the game could flavor what they see in or what they feel about it and i i didn't want to take that away from them or, or or any experience and so like it's uh it's 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 tricky sometimes and then when i think about games or when i talk about games like i'll i'll be pretty straightforward about something i like or didn't like and then you know we're all passionate about games and uh I, I, I try to be careful about that too, because like, I, I worry someone will take me not liking something very, very seriously, even when it's okay if I don't like something like it's okay that I, or I do like something, you know, it's, it's games are for many different types of people and not every game is for everyone. 
That's just me venting at this point, though. No, I I think that's a beautiful way of saying it. And I've I've said that a lot. There's so many different tastes out there that when I go and I talk to listeners and I talk to people that hear the podcast and and they say, well, you didn't like this. Well, it doesn't mean that you're not going to like it. You may very well find that it's for you. You just have to kind of gauge that and use what we say and what others say. Use that information to be an educated consumer and just say, yeah, okay, this is for me or no. Or you can just be like me and just go and buy games off the shelf without doing any sort of research and hope for the best. Because that's that's an option too. (laughs) That's the way to do it. That's my favorite way. Yes. Thunder gun. Got a thunder gun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Many, many years of thunder gunning the the collection in the basement. Yeah, and that's how you get to a shelf of shame of uh, 330 plus. And Justin, I kind of wanted to conclude this by going back to something that you had said. And you had said, you know, maybe I'd get better at this with more plays. And I think the problem with that is I would need to want to go back and give it more plays. And I think that that's ultimately where I stand on this is that I don't feel like I have the time to invest in it to give more plays to it. And I'm not going to get the satisfaction out of putting those plays in and trying to get the enjoyment out of this game. So I think from my standpoint, uh, my final judgment is I'm actually going to be passing this one off to somebody who might enjoy it a little bit more. It, it very sadly didn't click with me, which is really unfortunate. Again, you know, the the production as far as uh, the artwork and the quality of the components was magnificent. Unfortunately, the gameplay just didn't click with me and and it's going to have to leave the the shelves. That was Vivid Memories. And the last game that I wanted to talk about on today's podcast is Ten Penny Parks from 2022. Ten Penny Parks plays from one to four players in 45 to 75 minutes. Designed by Nate Linhart, the artist is Vincent Dutraits, and published by Thunderworks Games. A game of Ten Penny Parks is played over five rounds called Months. Each month, players take turns placing workers on the game board to take actions like removing trees, building concessions and attractions and buying more property in order to make their growing theme parks as attractive to visiting people, or VP tokens, as possible. At the end of each month, rewards are given to the player with the fairground that best exemplifies certain raw emotions, and after five months, the player with the most VP tokens wins. So just to clarify, this is a review copy that was furnished by Thunderworks Games, And I've talked about my love for theme parks on the show before, and I've had a couple of misses when it comes to that. If you remember all the way back to what I believe is our first episode, I talked about Alan's Adventureland, and that was not such a good experience. And I believe I touched on Danger Park as well. Uh, So I've really been searching for a good theme park game. And before you ask, no, I haven't played Unfair or Funfair. So those are on my list of games to try. And this game really boils down to two mechanisms, one of which is worker placement, and then there's a polyomino tile placement aspect to this as well. Your worker placement will give you access to buy different polyomino tiles. 
Uh, you can take trees off the board that are blocking spaces, which, by the way, this game really made me despise trees. Uh, they kept blocking me. They kept getting in my way. So they were really annoying. You can get concessions to move up the tracks, or you can increase your income in future rounds, which lets you buy more polyamino tiles. Or you can buy additional room to expand out your park. And I think I've mentioned how much this game made me hate trees, but I do, in all seriousness, think that they were definitely a huge part of the game. Uh, they made players think about their selections around trying to get the most moves in without removing them, how they could place the different shapes of tiles, uh, or removing them, you know, to get a much bigger turn. So you, you kind of had to balance those options, and I really did think that that was kind of a unique mechanic. I didn't have any color vision issues with the game. Uh, the meeples and discs were very easy to distinguish from me. All the tracks were symbol coded, so I was able to go in, look at the symbols and see, okay, this is where I have to move up. No problems with that whatsoever. Uh, the the polyomino placement was really interesting, and I think that it was the most interesting part of this game because you could not place those polyomino tiles orthogonally at all. Uh, and normally, we're used to these polyomino tile placement games where you have to place orthogonally adjacent, or you at least have the option to only be able to place things diagonally at most is really, really interesting and really made me think about how I was placing these tiles and what I was going to purchase out of the market. There was also a 3D carousel in the middle, uh, going back to the worker placement aspect of this game, that the first player of the round is able to set what either discount or uh, increase in price that players are going to have to pay. So the first player actually gets to set that for the round, which I found A, really creates a cool table presence with this game, and not only that, but you lends a unique mechanic to it as well in the fact that you have uh, different discounts or you know, you're going to have to pay more based on uh, the first player's choice. So that was also very unique. The tracks were essential in this game as well. They gave huge bonuses, such as an extra worker. So when you only have three workers in a round, having a fourth at your disposal is absolutely huge. Uh, the first place shovel where you get to turn that carousel that I just talked about, or $3 extra, which having more money is always good, gives you some more options. So balancing which attractions and concessions to buy became extremely important, which moved you up uh, certain tracks and trying to balance those tracks out where you were going to go, what you were going to focus on, and then what you were going to try to at least get to the scoring zone on the end of each of those tracks. Uh, the solo mode was uh, very easy to manage, but overall very challenging. I still haven't beaten it yet myself, so uh, still trying, but having a lot of fun doing so. And I would say that the only mild issue that I had was a mismatch between the feel of the art being more of a 1910s, 1920s feel, and then the modern design of the roller coasters. So you had uh, roller coasters with inversions and top hats and that, which weren't around in the 
era that I kind of got the feeling that this was taking place in uh, from the box art and from the manual. So I think if that's the only issue that I have with the game, I'm really happy with it. You know, and again, a very minor issue. So overall, really like the interplay of the mechanisms. I think, again, that uh, diagonal adjacency only of the polyomino tiles makes for a very interesting decision set. And then on top of that, the mechanic with the carousel giving you some discounts or additional money that maybe you want to have your opponents pay for some tiles that they're looking for really made a nice interplay. And I think I think that's where this game really shines is just how well everything kind of plays together. I think besides Cartographers, this might be my new favorite polyomino game. I really do need to go back and reevaluate Baron Park to see if it's going to stay on my shelves after this. And uh, someday I'll get around to getting that copy of Unfair off my shelves. But uh, for right now, I think Tenpenny Parks is my top choice to scratch my theme park itch. So that is Tenpenny Parks. So we're going to wrap up here. Uh, Matt and Justin, again, I wanted to thank you both for being on today's episode. Matt, I'll start with you. How can people get a hold of you? Uh, yeah, you can find me on social media at Play Coo Games. That's Coo without the L. Uh, I like pigeons a lot, so that's that. And then you can find my games on Coo, C-O-O, dot games, if you're interested in checking out my stuff. Very good. Justin? Well, they, they probably can't get a hold of me, but if somebody wants to babysit, you know, um, um, I do post things occasionally on JPHomer98 on Instagram, um, but that's about all I'm able to keep up with lately. Well, as far as we go, we have our website at CardboardTime.com. Take a look at our Instagram and Twitter at Cardboard underscore Time, our Board Game Geek podcast page. And as always, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for discussion topics, you can email those right over to CardboardTime at gmail.com, and we will get those answered for you. So the royal, uh, the royal we, the royal we, as in me, the the person who's going to go and and edit and uh, produce this podcast. So, yes, but again, Matt and Justin, thank you so much, and as always, thank you again for listening, and we'll see you in another two weeks for another episode of Cardboard Time. Happy gaming. <laughs>